to Podark Podcast, a fancast about everything Podark Saga. Before we begin this week's pod, let us introduce ourselves, shall we? I'm Michelle, I live in the States. You can find me on Tumblr at Poldark Muses, and I tweet at Musings. Hi, Dolanda here, I live in France, you can find me on Tumblr at BritishLiso and on Twitter at Dolanda Dia. And I'm Rita, I live in England, I Tumblr at Princess of Poldark and I tweet at Rita Bites. Michelle, sound the spoiler klaxon. <laughs> Because we are about to dive into a discussion and recap of the season 4 finale. There are going to be some major spoilers ahead. We are talking saga changing stuff, so please do not continue unless you've seen the episode, okay? Okay. All right. Are 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 they gone? Are they gone? Ding dong, the witch is dead. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, wow. <laughs> That's a little <laughs> Let's start off as usual with the recap of episode 408. Mm-hmm. This episode starts with a trip down memory lane. Here we are in 1780, which explains all of the soft focus, crazy wig game happening. Uh, we get to see all of the Poldark clan. Aunt Agatha and Francis are back. Yes. Auntie Francis. R.I.P. on Agatha! Not Agatha, just R.I.P. Francis. Oh! Oh, snap! Because uh, she does cause a bit of trouble. Um, <laughs> uh, we see Verity, uh, a much younger George Warleggan with stars in his eyes, along with his uncle Carrie, and of course Elizabeth, still a Chenoweth, which explains why she is the object of all the male attention, until her chosen one, Ross, an unscarred Ross, B-T-W, uh, makes an entrance. Already breaking hearts, huh? Well, thankfully, Aunt Agatha is here with her tarot cards for entertainment and warnings. What do they say? She'll break a few hearts and bear beautiful children. But who will be their father? Well, not us, at any rate. <laughs> oh, it's always been Ross. It will always be Ross. Who would have thought the three fathers of her three children would be standing in the same room? Back to the present of 1799. Ross and Demelza wake up in their respective beds in London and Cornwall. Elizabeth, also in London, wishes to advance the birth of her born-to-be to November instead of December, so that George believes he is the father. She's warned by the doctor that it might be dangerous. When asked, she admits that both her previous pregnancies went to full term. Finally! Confirmation at last. Yes. <laughs> he prescribes her a special medical potion and advises her to inform the physician who will attend her if there were to be any complications. Yeah, right. You don't know who your patient is, doctor. Ross joins Jeffrey Charles for a drink when they are interrupted by George, who spills the bottle still full of liquid on Ross's hand. Uh, I'm very aware of the influence I now need. And I can assure you the Prime Minister needs my votes. So it will be for me and not him to dictate terms. <laughs> oh. 
Yes, Russ? What are you going to do? Shoot me? Go on, Ross. Call me out. Isn't that how you settle your scores these days? Good day to you, George. Are you pleased with your candidate, my lord? Jeffrey Charles, why are you acting so revolted? I mean, it's all your fault. But anyway, cut to Mayfair in front of the world against London residence. Another victim of George's wrath is Valentine. The boy asks if he may sit next to his father in the carriage for the ride back to Cornwall, and George coldly ignores him. Poor child, he did not ask for any of this. Back in London, Caroline informs Ross she's returning to Cornwall the next day and invites him to come with her. Meanwhile, at Nampara, Dwight and Demelza are having supper and talking about Ross's recent idiotic actions. Demelza blames Ross for provoking Adderley into the fight. Dwight recognizes that Ross was mistaken, even though Adderley challenged him. It's your nature to be open and warm. The question is, does Ross intend to fight every man who falls for you? Is that what you fear? Worse than that. I begin to think he'll never come home. Don't you worry, Dee. He's already in that carriage with Caroline on his way back to you. I'm traveling my way back to you, babe. <laughs> uh, Ross is having another series of hallucinations, reminiscing about his recent duel. Demelza's song to Hugh enters the scene, and instead of shooting Adderley, Ross instead aims at Hugh. Light bulb moment for Ross, and he figured it out all by himself, with no help from anyone. And I throw something at my computer. <laughs> my favorite person, Drake, confesses his undying love to Mawenna for the thousandth time. She finally reciprocates, and he proposes to her. Apparently, he doesn't care about carnal connections, for now at least, and she agrees to wed him. Demelza and Sam rejoice, and we are as happy as they are because we won't have to deal with Drake's drama anymore. <laughs> Elsewhere, Demelza encounters Elizabeth and Valentine at the church. She's too kind for her own good and has an adorable yet slightly awkward exchange with the little boy. And you, young sir? You know what will happen soon? Papa will come. Christmas will come. And there'll be custards and cakes. And presents. <laughs> I may not see you before, so... May I wish you the very best for the season. And the new century. May it bring us joy. Not sure if joy is the appropriate term with these two in each other's lives, but okay. Ross tells Lord Falmouth he wishes to resign as an MP. Falmouth basically tells him shooting someone is not an excuse. When he wants him to resign, he will let him know. <laughs> Ross, you just got pwned, dude. Back in Cornwall, Ross has the most adorable reunion with Clowns and Jeremy. <laughs> Sadly, Demelza is still occupied with the wedding preparations, which include a right to Bodmin to get Drake's special license. He clearly has a lot to catch up on, and we count on Prudy to <laughs> fill him in. Instead of sleeping. 
Elizabeth. I thought that I thought that was absolutely adorable when she was up. Oh, Captain Ross, all the comings and the goings. <laughs> Elizabeth invites Marwana inside the Trinwith house since she has accompanied her all the way so that she can quote see Valentine. Why didn't you just say it, Lizzie? It's just to keep you company since your husband won't speak to you anymore. Oh snap! But too bad for her. <laughs> <laughs> but too bad for her when George returns he confronts Moana about marrying quote her husband's murderer and chases her out is it Khan? yes <laughs> how convenient The man who killed your husband now takes his place. He did not kill Osborne. You know very well Drake's innocence was proved. Oh, anything could be proved. All I know is that Khan had the most to gain. You know nothing about him. You can begin to understand the kind of man he is. I understand the kind of trollop you are. Get out of my house. George! And never show your face here again. Gotta be honest, George's anger about this marriage is such a relatable hashtag mood. Girl, George's anger about breathing is such a relatable hashtag mood. Um, so when Ross naturally arrives at Trenwith looking for Marwenna, George threatens him too. Set foot here again, I'll have you shot. What do you want, George? What more do you want? You have wealth, power, position... Influence? More than you know. You have my family's home, my family's mine, and you have Elizabeth. Twenty years ago, you, Francis, and I, we stood in this room, and we all aspired to her. Well, there she is. So I ask you again, What more do you want? George. Ross, I'd like you to leave. My apologies. I had no intention of ruining your evening. Oh, you have ruined more than that! Please, go. Forgive me. I do. Elizabeth, do not look at your husband like he is paranoid. You know very well he is not. George is finally ready to have a proper conversation with his wife. He tells her about Agatha's last words regarding Valentine not being his son. Elizabeth refutes and insists that he include the child in his love. She goes to their room and has a spoonful of the medication prescribed earlier. I guess that baby is needed ASAP to lighten the mood. <laughs> uh, cut to Dwight and Caroline and Horace. Yay! They're adorable as ever in their love nest. Dwight tells Caroline, even though life has been harsh on them between his traumatic experience in France and losing Sarah, he has faith in the mending power of love. Unfortunately, this is cut short when Do Dwight receives a letter from Trenwith. Get back to segue, duty, young man! <laughs> 
Elsewhere, Elizabeth is now in labour and she delivers a healthy baby girl named Ursula, i.e. Little She-Bear. Oh, <laughs> so cute. So cute. George asks for her forgiveness, even though he cannot guarantee a future without any suspicions. And can we blame him? He also shares good news that he will receive a knighthood. It's a moment of genuine happiness between the two. Which simply cannot stand, you know. At Nampara, Ross and Demaza are lying in bed. They both admit their wrongs. He should not have gotten into the duel with Adelie, and she should not have left London the way she did. He pretty much admits he killed Adelie because Hugh Armitage was not there to kill anymore. In the morning, Elizabeth is having severe seizures. She is pale and parts of her body have turned purple. When asked what can be done by Dr. Choke, Dr. Ennis remains silent. Caroline, in segue duty herself, informs Nampara about the situation and Ross, instead of waiting until they know more, gallops there and basically intrudes. Although Demelza does suggest that they inquire after her health. Who are you and what have you done with Spiky Demelza? R.I.P. Spiky Demelza. <laughs> George tells him Elizabeth is already gone. Ross. I think this is not the time. May I see her? Yes. Yes. By all means, you know where to find her. Ross, if I might suggest... You've always known where to find her. Go. Go! See what we brought her to! See. Jack Farthing breaks all the hearts here. Ross goes to their room to bid goodbye with a kiss on her cold lips. The morning following the dramatic event, Ross is mourning the loss of his first love and is joined by Demelza, who accompanies him in his grief. Also mourning the loss of his patient, Dwight is joined by Caroline. She tells him she came back to Cornwall to have a more meaningful life and is ready to be a mother again. Yay! Yay! In the meantime, Ross dreads the day Demelza is no longer a part of this world, which leads to an adorable, loving moment between the two. When Hugh died, I felt a little of this, but... Elizabeth was your first love. But not my last. I made that choice long ago. And I... You fear you kept me by default because he died. Not so. You did touch my heart. But only you have ever owned it. Cut to Drake and Marlena's wedding. A little disturbing with George and Valentine mourning Elizabeth on her tombstone in the background, but anyway. Um, isn't Marlena Elizabeth's cousin? Anyway, um, Jeffrey Charles and Verity witness the scene and insist that she was not a Rolagan. You know what? Actually, she was. Uh, Ross wants to join George and Valentine in their grief, but thankfully, Demelza tells him he will have all the time in the world to visit, like when her devastated husband is not there. <laughs> Speaking of which, the last image of the episode and of the season is not Ross and Demelza, but George's face, full of despair, sadness, and loneliness. The end. Dun, dun, dun. So, did you enjoy this series finale? Uh... I think this could actually be one of the worst episodes of the show yet. I was 
Ouch. actually bored for the entire hour. Like, even Elizabeth's death <laughs> registered at a meh on the dramatic scale. I want that hour of my life back. Oh, damn. Um, one of our regular commenters, Melanie, speaks for me. Um, quote, I felt a little cheated with this episode, like things were rushed to just end it. I wasn't overcome with emotion or emotions like I thought I would be. And, you know, I know I would have enjoyed it more if they didn't attempt to cram everything that happened into 60 effing minutes. I had real doubts about how they were going to do this because I knew how much happened in the section of the book that they still had to cover. And I'd hoped maybe, perhaps... We might wind up having some of that get tossed over into Series 5, but no. It all felt like everything was happening within the space of days as opposed to weeks. And I know we're going to get all kinds of comments about how we should stop being so pedantic about these things. And I shouldn't say we, it's really me. Uh, but it's hard for me to switch off things like time frames. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's, it's a thing. Um, and I'm not even thinking about <clears throat> how it was written in the books. I knew that it was going to need to be clipped and trimmed. But damn it, it's just basic common sense. Logical common sense. So no, didn't like it. And just think about this. By all rights, this should be the series final. I'm talking the entire show. This episode, <laughs> people, think about that. <laughs> And would you feel satisfied knowing that there was no more coming? No! Absolutely nope, not. Nope, 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 nope. I don't know. I think maybe they should have uh, they should have done a two-part episode uh, because there was just so much happening. It's hard to say it, but it was definitely the least enjoyable season finale since the beginning of the show. And it's quite the difference when you compare it to last week's when we were all so enthusiastic. I know, <laughs> I know right? <laughs> oh my god. And we were getting you all psyched up about something major was going to happen. And oh, buckle your seatbelts. It's going to be crazy and blah, blah, blah. <sighs> uh, to be honest, if they hadn't announced they were filming Series 5, I think the responses that we've seen on the internet uh, regarding this episode would have been much, much worse than they are. Because um, a lot of the responses have been glowing about how great this episode was. And, you know, they shot all this without, all without having a freaking clue about what Series 5 is going to be about. <laughs> you know? Could it be a prequel? I mean, you know, we got that in the cold open for the show. Could it be a mashup of all the things that could happen during the time jump? Who knows? Who knows? Don't give me an anxiety attack because every time I think about that, I just, uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, God. Um, one of the major changes that we saw in this episode of, of many was Elizabeth's de death compared to the book. Well, I can't speak uh, about the book, but uh, I thought just the way it was uh, adapted, uh, it was underwhelming. She was definitely not an audience's favorite, not a, our <laughs> favorite anyway in the podcast, but she was uh, a major character in this saga and in uh, Ross's life. And uh, obviously we saw it coming because at some point she just recognized the tropes that TV uses. 
when we are about to bid goodbye to a major character Ugh, in flashbacks, flashback. just like in uh, <laughs> just like episode five of season two, when it was clearly Francis's last, and uh, Francis too had a tragic death, but uh, I think he had a a send off, like a proper send off, worthy of the place that his character occupied uh, in the lives of others. Uh, Elizabeth, on the other hand, did not have that. It's as if she just died in the night and they buried her and then uh, goodbye. And the next day it was the wedding. Ugh. So, you know, and I can say I certainly didn't have the same visceral response to Elizabeth's death as I did hashtag in the books. Uh, mainly because of how sterile the whole thing was. God knows I was ready for Elizabeth to die. But the way she died in Angry Tide made me feel horrible about the way she and the way her life ended uh lauren sent us an email about this very thing uh hashtag in the books elizabeth's death is described in dis excruciating detail and ross is repelled by the smell and her appearance when he enters the room i can't remember if he even was able to kiss her what do you think about debbie's decision to make elizabeth more like an angel in death uh, and it was sanitation, uh, going along with the sanitation the character of Elizabeth has received in this adaptation. Um, so buckle in, kids, grab a coffee. I'm going to read the damn thing <laughs> just so that those of you who watched will have a very clear understanding of what we're talking about. And I'm giving you a warning. This shit is graphic. So here we go. Ross went up the stairs, stumbling here and there. It was dark in the interior of the house, and another solitary candle burned at the end of the long passage, past Verity's old bedroom, past Francis's bedroom, past Aunt Agatha's bedroom. Shadows barred his way. He stumbled against an ancient tall boy. The floors creaked under his tread, past the bedroom where he and Demelza had once slept and made love. Up five steps, those five steps that Elizabeth had fallen down before the birth of Valentine. He opened, he came to the door. He could not bring himself to open it. It was the room in which he had come to see Elizabeth seven years ago, a meeting from which so much mischief had sprung. Suddenly, as a non-believer and non-Catholic, he wanted to cross himself. He opened the door and the stench hit him like a wall. The bed was there and Elizabeth was on it with two candles burning. The fire still flickered in the grate. The curtains were drawn, but a window was slightly open. The only movement in the room was the stirring of the pink curtain in the evening breeze. On the table by the bed were an hourglass, a bowl, a tall painted feeding bottle, two lemons. On the dressing table was Elizabeth's necklace of garnets, a glass containing three leeches, a pair of scissors, and a bottle of water and a spoon. Before the fire were her slippers, and a kettle hissed faintly on the hob. He hung onto the handle of the door and retched. She did not move to greet him. He retched again and again and pulled a handkerchief and put it to his nose and mouth. He stared at his first love. The candles dripped in the draft of the open door. He walked slowly to the bed. Death had removed all the lines of pain and fatigue and fever, except that her skin was yellow. Her hair, unbrushed but curiously tidy, still framed that pale patrician face. Robbed of expression, her face in reposed, retained the old sweet beauty that so many men had desired or admired. 
You could have supposed that any moment her eyelids would flicker open and her lips would curve into a welcoming smile, except that her skin was yellow. And under the sheet, and barely contained by it, all the horrors of corruption, mortification, and decay, it was creeping up every minute as she, that she lay there. How far had it already reached? She had decayed while still alive, so that burial was already days overdue. He swallowed back vomit and took a handkerchief from the, his mouth and kissed her. Her lips were like soft, cold, pale putty. Handkerchief back, he heaved his heart out against it and almost fell. The room swung as he caught at a chair. He turned and fled. The bang of the door behind him sounded, sounded hollow. The door of a sepulchre. The sepulchre that needed sealing off from all that was still alive. He reeled along the passage and down the stairs without looking at George, who stood there watching him. He went out of the house and found his horse and leaned his head against the horse's neck, unable to mount. Ta-da! How beautiful and romantic. I know, right? Uh, I mean, dude, she basically died of gangrene, you know, rotting from within, which is about as in-your-face as it could possibly get. I expected to see some visible reactions to the odor or something along those lines, and all we really got was a slight look of concern from Dwight. Talk about a sanitation. Okay. Mm. So, <laughs> Delonda, um, are you okay? No, no, I'm, just, I'm a little squishy by nature. So. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, it was a bad end. The fact it was that she really rotted from the inside was such a heavy-handed yeah. metaphor. But I love Winston. He was like, I know, right? She was evil, <laughs> and it killed her. Oh, okay, God. so let's talk uh, about the flashback. You know uh, how I love flashbacks. Yeah. I really adored seeing Francis again. Hey, boo, what up? And I loved seeing all the different wigs in action because, oh my God, George's OG hair was <laughs> crazy. <laughs> and Francis had mad floppy whip game all up in the front. What all exactly was the point of this scene, by the way? Because... We know Elizabeth loves Ross. Am I supposed to be heartbroken for her that she didn't get him? Because let me tell you, I'm not. And I also think they totally threw away any Francis characterization in the process, which obviously annoys the shit out of me. And hashtag in the books, I never got the impression Francis even knew Elizabeth that well until after Ross leaves. Didn't they meet in a ball in Truro? Why is he pining after her with George standing next to him? This is bizarre. Yeah, yeah. It made absolutely no sense. Because, you know, when Ross comes back and, you know, interrupts the family at dinner, you know, it, it's like, you know, Francis is just kind of like, yeah, I'm getting married. I'm getting married to Elizabeth. You know, kind they of They don't like, know each other. Yeah, yeah. Not that, you know, he's been pining after her all this time and Ross has had her and, you know, okay, well, okay, Ross is probably dead, so now I get to pursue her. It just it just didn't make any sense at uh, all. Like I said, you know I hate them. Fucking flashbacks. <laughs> they, were, they were just constant in this episode. And the weird hallucinate, hallucinations. It made me want to throw my pillow at the telly. It's just such a tired tropes. Oh my god, <laughs> by the time we saw Ross shoot Hugh Armitage, I was, ugh. And then Elizabeth running around on a 
stop. I wanted to help myself off of that cliff. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I'm not going to complain because we got to see old characters that we used to love, like Francis, maybe not Agatha, but Francis, Verity. But I agree that this flashback felt useless. And the fact that they put it before the opening credits, I think it overdramatized the whole thing. And I can't remember if they did the same thing with Francis's flashback, uh, running on the beach with Ross when they were little. Uh, no, that came after the... Um, it was part of the first scene following Does this the show even credits. do cold opens? This seems so freaking random. Uh, they did one for 2.1 uh, uh, when they were hauling Ross off to Tarot to stand before a Reverend Hulse. And he has that encounter... He has that that little hearing uh, before they run the credits. And then I think the next scene is uh, Demelza at home putting flowers on um, That was obviously to Julia's catch people bed. up because it had been like 18 months. Yeah, this was, this was some fan fiction, people. So let's get into a discussion on storylines. Let's start off with Ross and Demelza. Did they even have a storyline? I must have blinked and missed it. Um, <laughs> Ross galloped back to Cornwall and everything was just fine between them, you know. After everything that went down last week, the emotional resolution was just not there. What even is the point of building conflict like this if you're not going to have them talk about it substantially? And why the fuck did we just have a serious final of the show with such little Demelza. She was literally just there to prop up Drake's storyline and be a sounding board for Ross's terrible decisions regarding Elizabeth. Yes, Ross, you should go over there. No, you should not do that. She was <laughs> she was just a freaking afterthought. And she deserved more screen time for sure. Don't get me started on Caroline and Dwight because... Yeah, uh, Romelza, they were clearly on the back burner in this episode. I, too, felt hugely disappointed because I felt like they were they actually communicated from the second half of the episode because uh, in, at the beginning, Ross was still in London, and uh, when he uh, returned to Cornwall, uh, Demelza was busy uh, preparing uh, Drake's wedding. And uh, even though the scene following Elizabeth's death was sweet, I feel like we shouldn't be getting those kinds of emotional dialogues just when some shit is happening and he realizes that Demelza is the woman he needs by his side and he recognizes that he uh, acted like an idiot. So obviously there were also there was also a lot of Drowena, so it did not help with screen time. And uh, I agree that uh, the fact that we saw more Drake and Rowena than Caroline and Dwight, that's just unfair. Unacceptable. I ain't got nothing to say about Ross and Demelza this week. I'm I'm that sad. Well, maybe you have a few things to say about Elizabeth. <laughs> maybe a couple. Um, I'm just gonna come out and say it. I'm glad she's dead. <laughs> oh, damn. And it's not even because of her. This show has suffered so much because Debbie Horsfield has been too preoccupied with creating Elizabeth Ross tension and scenes which don't make actual any sense for the characters and never existed in the books. Why? Why? <sighs> anyway, now she's gone, we can hopefully be free of this never-ending saga. 
Also, the chick legit poisoned herself, risking her life and Ursula's so that she could continue to further gaslight George. It's like her one final con. This was her Ocean's Eleven and she flopped. (laughs) If she had died from natural causes, then maybe I could muster up a little bit more sadness, but she literally created this entire mess in the first place. She has no one to blame but herself. Well, also maybe Ross for giving her this dumb idea. And maybe a little bit that doctor as well, who shouldn't be taking money from desperate women. And you know, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, the, the the whole thing with Ross giving her the idea is going to result in cries from the fandom for Ross's head for doing so. Yeah, of course. But anyway, mm-hmm. good riddance. She and Hugh can go play whist in hell together. <laughs> well, like you said in one of your, one of um, the Instagram posts for the podcast, um, if there is an afterlife, Francis is likely to have some words for her. <laughs> Anyhow, I thought Hyde uh, Reed did a fantastic performance, um, and especially in the scene where she gaslights George for the umpteenth time. I know. It's painful, but she really did a great job. Hyda Reed deserved better with her material. She's an amazing actress. Yeah, yeah, she did. I feel bad saying this, but when George said she died 10 minutes ago, I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) Like, I don't cry that much uh, when I watch a fictional show, but I cried when Frances died. Like, I literally cried. Oh, my God. I'm still not over it. (laughs) No, it's horrible. I was like, okay, when he said that she died, I felt nothing. No sadness, not even joy. Uh, so I was, again, like I said, underwhelmed. But that said, Hyderi did uh, some memorable performances, and uh, she was also blessed with brilliant acting partners. So I applaud her for portraying a not-so-popular character. <laughs> uh, and uh, now that she's gone, I hope that we can finally move on once and for all, from all the useless tension slash love triangle slash platonic friendship drama, <laughs> uh, it was clear that as long as she existed, there would always be a part of Ross involved with her emotionally, even in a platonic friendship. Yeah, and especially with the fact that they had a child together. So is this ever really over when Valentine still lives? Nope. No, because that's going to be mentioned every episode again. Let's talk about George. Jeebus wept. What a powerhouse performance from Jack Farthing. Uh, He can go from icy cold to warm as the sun in a split second, and it's brilliant to see. Uh, The scene where he picks up Ursula for the first time. Oh. (laughs) Oh my God. I think that was that was one of the moments where it's like I felt my heart just twist in my chest. Uh, that was so beautiful to see. Um, you know, and I, I know this season more than other has demonstrated how much of an ensemble show this is. Um, you know, and I know I'm about to have my Aiden fangirl card snatched for saying so, but it's undeniable. You know, we had tour de force performances from just about everyone in these eight episodes, including all of the fantastic uh, character actors and actresses that we had this season. Yeah. I mean, 
Jack Farthing in particular was the bright spot of this episode for me. I wish they had given him a titch more screen time, though. Mm -hmm. Like, when he reveals Elizabeth is dead, he was really bringing me the feels, but then it cut straight to Ross walking into Elizabeth's room, and I was just like, ugh. You've mm-hmm. ruined it. This show needs to yeah. learn to linger on these emotional moments rather than just quick cut straight away, straight away on something else mm-hmm. now. Yeah, bravo, Jack Farthing. I think it takes a brilliant actor to make you sympathize with a villain and not just uh, on Poldark but in any other series. And mm-hmm. uh, like I said, I haven't shed a cheer for Elizabeth, but I was so sad for George. Like, I was more sad for George than I was about Elizabeth dying. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. we know that she is the most important person in his life. Mm-hmm. So, um, kudos to Jack. You are the MVP in this finale. Oh, God. And uh, the the scene between uh, George and Dwight at, at the end where George is wondering, you know, well, everything that he's done, who am I to share this with? You know, she's gone, blah, blah, blah. And then Dwight brings Ursula over and reminds him, you have a daughter. And you could see this, not a, not a change, but you could see that there was... Um, a bit of comfort that he took from that in that moment, you know, and he made a comment that, you know, she doesn't look like her mother and none of Elizabeth's children look like her. And it's actually a comment that's made in the book. Um, You know, they all resemble their fathers. Ooh, that was a book spoiler because we don't know what Ursula is going to look like, but yeah, she, she, she looks like a war legging. Okay. Moving on to Morwenna and Drake. I'm trying to sound excited. God. Well, I will give Elise Chappelle uh, more awards for how she has portrayed Marwenna. She's done a really fantastic job. And I'm going to say it. I actually enjoyed the Drawenna or More Wake as uh, official Poldark uh, has its preferred ship tag for this pair. Um, I enjoyed this episode especially when drake basically told tom harry 2.0 to go ahead and come for him drake looked like he was going to take the jackass's head clean off um and no i hadn't been drinking when i was watching this (laughs) show although now i kind of wish i had been um and i think the reason why i enjoyed these scenes was because i knew this ship was coming to an end (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I knew it was ending. I knew it was like, oh God, we're going to be free of this. <laughs> uh, honey, I wouldn't hope my breath about that. I mean, we have no idea what fresh fanfic hell is coming in season five. You know, if Debbie loves them, she might decide to diverge from the books and have them living in soul. <laughs> oh God. Duh. Quick question. Why in the ever-loving fuck was Morwenna chased down by dogs? (laughs) What was the actual point of that scene? Hashtag pure drama? Yes. Hashtag in the books because it's not freaking necessary. There is enough melodrama in this relationship alone to power a small country for a year. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think the addition of the dog chase was to crank up the drama and tone down all of the crazy wanderings that took place during this section of the book there are people traveling all over 
Cornwall uh, during this section of the book. And we had Morwenna wandering around and around and Demelza and Drake wandering around and around for pages and pages. Uh, so I am glad that they found a, a way to kind of tone that down. But the whole dog chase thing I just thought was ridiculous. And I did not care for Harry Richardson's acting choices. That's as nicely as I can put it. <laughs> mm-hmm. I second oh. <clears throat> oh, here's something that just bothered the shit out of me about placing Drake's new forge in Saul as opposed to him rebuilding the old one. First, it's the town where the woman he jilted lived. And I know we're all supposed to believe that everybody is forgiving now that uh, Rosina basically told everybody to chill the fuck out. Still not cool. There's like 12 people living in that town. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Second, when Morwenna shows up, she is welcomed into the cottage of two unmarried men without there even being so much as a humph humphed you know i mean she's she's moving into their little cottage really why not have prudy stay at the cottage to act as a chaperone that would have been a quick fix to kind of plug up that little hole why do that when you can have her chased by a dog instead <laughs> mm-hmm <sighs> and yeah. either there was another gigantic time leap or Moena also got married when she should be in mourning. But hey, why are we keeping up with actual <laughs> historical accuracy here? <laughs> yeah, I mean, based on the headstone, which you figured would require quite some time to uh, put together. Uh, I mean, I don't know how how they put those things together. So I'm imagining back then it would be even more painstaking with hand tools and everything but you know based on that you know i think that we can assume that there was some time jumpage um however if that was the case then why even bother with a special license oh logic again how quaint oh i'm gonna grab the paracetamol the show is just a headache Okay, on to lighter, lighter things. Favorite scenes. If I had to select one, it would be the last scene with Ross and Demelza by the fire, where Ross tells her how he realized there would come a time when he would never hear her voice again. Uh, it is much more dramatic, hashtag in the books, of <laughs> course, uh, but the, the, the feverish kiss at the end made up for some of the disappointment I felt at the scene's brevity. Uh, and if you want to see the text from the book, uh, check, out, check out my Tumblr. I posted it uh, last night, uh, and you can read the whole thing. It's beautiful. And, and one more. When Ross asks Melza to walk with him along the cliffs, it's an echo of the first time we see the two of them walking hand in hand along the same route uh, after the pilchards almost down to the costumes although you know Demelza's dress has been redone of course it's that same kind of dark red as it was back then and it was a lovely parallel uh, my favorite scene any scene with Jack Farthing really especially anytime mm-hmm. George lost his shit at Ross who just kept barging into his house in every other scene like damn it Ross give him some space <laughs> <laughs> Uh, how about um, you? How about you, De- Delanda? 
Yeah, my favorite scenes also involve the deck fighting, especially the scenes uh, following Elizabeth's death for all of the emotional package that uh, Jack brought. Uh, and least favorite scene? Uh, well, the death revealed for the long-winded reasons I outlined above. Sorry for that, people. Mine's <laughs> probably when Drake was in the washing, wishing, ugh, the wishing well cave thing, and then he heard a noise. And then when he goes to find out who was there and who he heard, he sees Morwenna and they're suddenly on top of a cliff. Like, what the fuck was that about? You don't come out of the cliff and then you're on top of it. Like, what? What? (laughs) (laughs) Also, um, his dumb list of things he likes instead of sex. Uh, Pretty sure the guys never actually had it. If I were Morwenna, I'd be like, hey, that's nice and all, but can we have a realistic conversation about how this is going to work? Because you're going to get sexually frustrated and smelling things just ain't going to cut it, you know? (laughs) That's just me. (laughs) My least favorite scene, uh, I have nothing against them personally, but the wedding of Drake and Morwenna, just because I thought it felt out of place uh, following Elizabeth's death, so, yep. Especially with a guy mourning his dead wife outside. (laughs) Yeah. What a move. Yeah. Okay, how many tricorns? Two tricorns, one tricorn for Jack Farthing, and one for how pretty Cornwall looked. The rest, burn it to the ground. (laughs) Oh my god! Damn! Well, you know arson's (laughs) a hanging offense. Worth it. (laughs) Uh, I also gave it two. Uh, It was quite a disappointment, especially after they did so well last week. Mm, Agreed. Two tricorn as well, because I'm not that mean to give give just one. Tempted, but... uh... I I thought about it. I really thought about it. And I was like, no, I'm going to give it I was on 1.5 for a very long time, but then I was like, no, people already think I'm a bitch. (laughs) Like, I can't do it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, now it's time for Critics' Corner. And uh, this is the last one for the season. Uh, Each week we bring you quotes from our favorite reviews of Poldark episodes, and this week is no exception. So let's begin with Louisa Melor of Den of Geek. Before Elizabeth suffered her ghastly exit, we were given the gift of a flashback to a happier time. We met a pre-enlistment pre-Scar Ross and a pre-wealth and influence George. Young Warleggan in his scruffy wig was almost endearing. To think of owning a place like this, he told Uncle Doom, clasping his hands in wonder and gazing up at Trenwith's dado rails. The fixings and features weren't the real object of his affection, of course. That was the beautiful Elizabeth. Her heart, though, belonged to Ross and always would. One thing certain, said twenty years ago Francis, She'll never marry me as a runner-up when Ross doesn't come back from the American War in the promised six months, and then later when I drown in the family mine, marry you, George. Don't I know it, said George, (laughs) tisking as both turned and looked straight down the camera lens. It was, in truth, a lovely surprise of a scene that rewarded fans with cameos of old favorites, Agatha, the tarot deck and reminded us of the Ross-related baggage George has been carrying around for decades. Viv Groskop for The Guardian wrote, Oh, evil George, what will you do now that Ross's child and the little she-bear to raise, and with you being so clueless and evil all the time? Ross's reaction was heartbreaking. 
Even evil George's face was devastating, but it was the anguished expression expression of Horace the pug that really broke me. Horace knows. I really never thought I would be so upset that Elizabeth was dead, and in my shock, I will set aside reservations about the plot development here. I suppose Elizabeth's desperate intentions were clear from the start, given the meeting with the dodgy doctor. A distillation of herbs and a fungus that grows on rye. That does not sound very safe, Doctor. It sounds like you just made it up. Wouldn't it have been a lot safer and easier to dye Valentine's hair or something? Oh well, never mind. Equally surprising was that Drake and Mawena were not doomed and she did not end up in the asylum. Instead, here they are embarking on a marriage which might need a rather lot of help from <laughs> from Relate. Do we think that there would be more to life than carnal love? Oh, Drake, don't kid yourself, mate. The glow of corn and the smell of spring, summer rain, autumn wind. Drake turned out to be just as annoying and bad at poetry as the hypochondriac pretend blind <laughs> poet. This was a sweet clifftop reunion scene, though, and Harry Richardson was, has done well as Drake. Did not have a, I did have a little weep here, too, as Moenna turned to follow him back to the Stone Age hovel. <laughs> and the telegraphs Gerard O'Donovan gave the episode five stars Dude. it all seemed so positive when the action moved back from London to cozy scenic Cornwall yes nasty George Wallagan played by Jack Fredding was in an, was in an absolute bait of jealousy and resentment but even he couldn't blot out the sunshine that lit up the episode when poor benighted Morwenna was at last induced to marry Drake Ross and Demelza were back on an even keel in the wake of the duel. Dwight and Caroline Ennis were emerging from their own dark night of the soul. Elizabeth's confinement went so well when George was convinced and happy. Then the inevitable tragedy happened. Fate demanded its pound of flesh. All of the emotion that could be wrung from such a moment was there, palpable in George's, in George's agonized, embittered response. Elizabeth's death left the series drenched in a grief so dark, even the closing nuptials couldn't dispel it. It made last week's announcement that next year's Paul Dark will be the last all the more bittersweet. Undeniably, this consummate costume drama, at times the series felt like it was already running out of steam. But when it's been on form, as here, there's still nothing like it for heart-stoppingly, breathtakingly big drama. So there you go. You can't say we didn't present a balanced view of things. (laughs) (laughs) Well, one of the things, you know, is before we get into messages, we did get a note from uh, Susie BG that goes into, uh, she did some research on the uh, draft that Elizabeth took, you know, and it was, you know, said it was, uh, made with the fungus that grows on rye, and that is called ergot. And the effect of ergot alkaloids have a wide range of biological activities, including the effects on circulation and neurotransmission. Um, an order of monks established in 1095 specialized in treating ergotism victims with balms containing tranquilizing and circulation-stimulating plant extracts. The common name for ergotism is called St. Anthony's Fire, after the Hospital of the Brothers of St. Anthony. 
The fire refers to the severe burning sensation in the limbs, which is one of the symptoms. There are two types of ergotism. One, which is characterized by muscle spasms, fever, hallucinations, mania, paralysis, and tremors. The second type is marked by violent burning, peripheral pulses, and shooting pain of the poorly vascularized distal organs, such as fingers and toes. The ergot alkaloids cause vasoconstriction, leading to gangrene and the loss of limbs due to severely restricted blood circulation. Other symptoms can include strong uterine contractions. Controlled doses of ergot were used to induce abortions. So see, look at that. Thank you, Susie BG. Uh, that all came from Wikipedia uh, and really appreciate that you send that in. But you know, they did research. <laughs> <laughs> that made me happy. But yeah, I mean, that, that would have done it. Okay. So moving on to messages, let's start with Facebook. So first one from Yen, who said, loved this season as much as season one. Caroline said it was a great season. I was sorry to see it end. You know, as, as, much, as, I, as much as I've been grumbling about it, I'm glad somebody liked it. And there are a lot of you out there who enjoyed it as well. And so I am glad that, that you all enjoyed it. On Twitter... At Seaside Girl said, I was wrung out after last week's episode, but this week's OMG, absolutely brilliant. Love it. Smiley face emoji, heart emoji. Uh, Mofan asked what my opinion was about the following tweet by at AmyRK23 that read, I will forever adore Winston Graham for the way he treated Morwenna's story. Not making Ozzy's death or Drake's love a quick fix, but rather actually dealing with and recognising her trauma in a truthful, painful, but beautiful way. Now, I spoke about Winston Graham's handling of this subject matter recently on our book club episode, so if you want more depth, perhaps go and listen to those. But to do a very brief sum up, I definitely applaud Winston's intentions because it's an incredibly difficult subject matter and he was years ahead of his peers in recognising marital rape as a crime. But having said that, even in the novels, this storyline was very poorly resolved. It felt rushed, as if he just wanted to get them married and then have them move away to have the storyline resolved at the end of The Angry Tide. Wawena is still deeply troubled and stricken with PTSD at the end of it. The resolution of her trauma happens, like, off-screen during the time jump. I don't personally find that satisfying, and I struggle to think of how that's a good writing choice. So yeah, a hard disagree from me. And he also said that for four years, Haida Reid has, has given a layered performance of a woman who's made bad choices because of the trapping circumstances for women, choices to, choices to survive. I miss her beauty, grace, and thoughtful acting. One more thing. A bit late, but did anyone get a bisexual vibe from Monk? All of the my dears to Ross, commenting on his body to Demelza and her comments about fighting and quote, loving the same person. He was sinister, elegant, and lusty for Ross. I ship Monk and Ross. Oh my god! <laughs> I told- oh my god! I hadn't even thought about like, that! Is some oh. homosexual tension. They would bang if they could. <laughs> 
They should have had a threesome. <laughs> Damn. That's why oh fan fiction gosh. exists, you guys. <laughs> yes, yes. Somebody take that and run with it, please. Because I would I'm gonna read that some. shit up. Make it happen. Oh, no. Oh, God, no. That would just be wrong, but... No. Sharing anyway. Sharing. No sharing. <laughs> no, but... Uh, Moving on out. to Instagram messages. So the first one from wow.analee, who said, Not having read this far into the book series, strangely, I was not surprised by some of the outcomes. I really need to watch it again. I just couldn't bring myself to simply watch. I had to be in the Twitter feed. I'll be delighted <laughs> to hear what y'all have to say. I'll be doing my best to think about the music during. <laughs> Uh, and Dora.witch said, I know people are mad at Elizabeth for lying to George, but I don't remember George ever being completely honest with her, and he despises Ross. George and Elizabeth are alike in the way they handle things. I'm not saying it's an ideal marriage, but that's the point, isn't it? The cost of their grudges. Also, the treatment of Jeffrey Charles by George may give Elizabeth real cause for concern. She does. She does have a point, you know, when George was trying to get her to marry him, uh, at least on the show, he was doing all kinds of things to make her paranoid and concerned and worried about, you know, being alone in the house without a man in the house, blah, 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 blah. So, you know, yeah, George loved her, but he was not above doing whatever he possibly could in order to get her. They are both gaslighting bitches. Yes! Yes! <laughs> yes! Meant to be. Laurie Mansour said, I love the episode. Really liked the opening flashback setting up what was to come. I am disappointed the, the dinner conversation between Caroline and Ross was not there. Would have loved to see that. What dinner conversation? They say they want to bang each other. Ah, that, this yeah. one. Yeah, and that's, that's also where Caroline basically tells Ross, you know, get your head out of the out of your ass you weren't dueling Monk Adderley. You were wanting to duel Hugh Armitage. She's the one that slaps him upside the head with that. It's not something that Ross figures out on his own. But, you know, that was all happening in his head. Caroline wasn't saying a damn thing. And the uh, final message, the final Instagram message from Anna Marie, who said, so about that finale... I give it all the tricorns. Before we pass around the port and start the ding-dong, the gaslighter queen is dead party, I have to say I'm finally convinced that he did actually love Elizabeth in his own way. This entire time I've battled over whether or not his love was for her or just for what she provided to him in terms of social standing, connection, and prestige. I was heartbroken at George looking 100% lost and then adding in a newborn daughter. Oof, the amount of expression that Jack Friday can show, all while remaining stuffy and brooding is pure wizardry <laughs> at this point. Someone throw baftas at this man with as much enthusiasm as George threw the scones at Ross's face. Okay, maybe not at his face, but you get the point. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, we agree, we agree. He he deserves he deserves awards for his performance this season. Uh, let's see. Let's head over to Tumblr. Uh, Londonista59 said, So I knew Elizabeth was going to drink the poison and die, but I felt like they dragged things out and that the storyline consumed three quarters of the episode. So we got a quickie <laughs> wedding of Drawena, ugh, who cares, and the quick Romelza everything is forgiven. 
From viewer tweets, Facebook comments, seems it was an emotional roller coaster if you were in the dark. I was just a bit bored. George was evil as always, and Ross kissing dead Elizabeth was kind of creepy. Demelza, <clears throat> Demelza and Elizabeth scene? Why? Uh, more Romelza, please. Um, Anon said four tricorns. They're actually little top hats, but I'm assuming that they're tricorns. Um, let's see. Uh, because they missed out the book ending and I love you, no biggie, but it was needed after all that happened to them over Elizabeth and Hugh Armitage. Sometimes you have to say it. You just do. Um, another Anon said, good episode, Michelle. Uh, do you think it needed a few more minutes of that dialogue out of the book? Yes, uh, Debbie Horsfield did say, um, did, uh, said, they say I love you, but I did not hear it. Nope, it was so needed in this series. Uh-huh, we have to wait, a, we have a year to wait till we get another chance. Elizabeth's death was toned down too due to time. Thanks, BBC. Why did the Caroline scene become Ross's dream scene again? Um, because heartless, uh, <laughs> that was my comment. Um, I really think Romelza took a backseat in this season four. Do you like the opener, but not for us to miss that Romelza talk instead? Why does DH leave us with only crumbs of Romelza love? This is one of the reasons why I don't listen to anything the creative team has to say about the show during the off season. Uh, I know, and I've posted stuff on this on uh, my Tumblr before, uh, that I don't want to hear about news articles or interviews or anything from the cast, uh, producers, writers, etc. And it's because they can say whatever they want in the promotion of the show. And anything can happen when they are in the editing suite doing the final cut. Um, I'll believe what we get when I see it. Um, let's see, uh, another anonymous, uh, which portrayal of Elizabeth do you prefer, the 70s TV adaptation or the current TV adaptation? Which one do you think is closer to the books? I really wish that Heida Reed's portrayal wasn't so nice, aside from the gaslighting. I'm thinking of watching the 70s version, but not if Elizabeth is likable. I was perfectly content with her demise in the book, but think it will be sad in the current show and that bugs me. Uh, personally, I much prefer 1970s five version of Elizabeth. She's definitely more ruthless and cold, but I think that's what, weirdly, makes her more likable than the modern version. There's a sense that she has flaws and is guided by her pride and hurt. I think an attempt to make Elizabeth more, quote, likable and relatable for a modern audience. They've actually just made her 18th century version of Taylor Swift, a constant victim and a white feminist sweat dream. <laughs> oh, God, Rita, I love you. <laughs> Um, for me, it's the 1975 version as well. Uh, there is absolutely no love lost between Elizabeth and Demelza in that production. Um, and I've never been a fan of this on-again, off-again, on-again affinity between the two characters that we get in the modern adaptation. It made much of what happens between them inconsistent throughout the rest of the story. Uh, we haven't watched the 1975 or the 1970s episodes that cover Black Moon or Angry Tide yet. Uh, so we'll have to give you an update on our thoughts uh, after we do that. 
Yeah, I haven't watched that many episodes from the 1970s version, but from what I've seen, I also prefer that version of Elizabeth, just because I think they tried to make her too nice in the newest version, and uh, to really emphasize the love triangle, and uh, and uh, show that maybe Demelza was not the one for Ross, and that there was still that possibility with Elizabeth, and clearly she was not that reliable. Um, another anonymous, hi guys, I thought I would let you know if you order the Poldark 4 DVD, it does not have any cast commentary like they said it did. Episode 3 was supposed to have commentary from Chris and Eleanor, but it is missing, and there are no extra scenes or deleted scenes either. Ah, boo. My DVD hasn't arrived yet, but I am not too bothered about watching that now. Um, yeah, and that's pretty crappy to to promise one thing and then not deliver. I would have loved to have heard the commentary with those two. I think it would have been hilarious. Um, <laughs> let's see, um, another anonymous. Um, I know the scene where Elizabeth and Demelza meet wasn't in the book, but I'm glad Debbie included it. It shows how classy Demelza is. We know she is. We don't need to see it. Yeah. And finally, another anonymous, in the opening scene of episode 8, did it seem strange to anyone else that Ross and Elizabeth went off by themselves to dance in the (laughs) hall with no one else around? You could hardly hear any music. I thought it was rather weird. And I'm sorry, but Francis's hair was ridiculous. (gasps) (laughs) Never insult Francis. (laughs) Yeah, the whole wandering off to go dance by themselves, I thought that was They're so in love. They just stand in hall. Okay, moving on to emails. So the first one from Melanie, who said, what did I like? So seeing Verity and Francis during the flashback scenes, yay. And I must admit, I enjoyed Francis and George grousing about Ross. (laughs) Lol. Little did they know. Uh, I also liked Dwight reassuring Demelza, Romelza. Any of the scenes with Caroline and Dwight, they are wonderful and call me in the sea of chaos. (laughs) Um, Melanie commented that being denied the entire Ross-Caroline conversation during their return to Cornwall was a huge disappointment for me as well. It was for us, too. Seeing Jack Ferding pull out all the stops as George, bravo. We could truly feel his pain and grief. Leave him alone, Ross. (laughs) 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 And of course, any scene with Sam Karn, I do so like this character, although I haven't liked the change in his storyline this season. We have come to the end of this week's podcast, but we'll be back with our roundup of the whole of season four. Oh god, does this mean we have to watch the whole thing again? Girl, no way am I doing that. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, if you want to weigh in on the season as a whole, get in contact with us on our social media. We're at Polduck Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Tumblr. You can also email us at polduckpodcasts at gmail.com. Thank you to everyone who's listened to the podcast, and if you're And if you've enjoyed what you've heard, then please go and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts because it helps us out a lot. Okay, thank you guys, and we'll see you next time. Bye. 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 Ziggy X. I got one more problem with you, girl. Hey.
You won't be one like what? 